Chapter Eleven of Quintus Oakes, a Detective Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Quintus Oakes, a Detective Story, by Charles Ross Jackson. The Night Walk. Events were following each other rapidly at the mansion after leaving the cellar oakes led us back through the grounds around the south side of the house there was no entrance to the cellar there apparently when we reached our rooms and i had deposited the mask and gown on my table oakes turned to the caretaker cook who accompanied us you have been several years here have you not yes mr clark when did the trouble first begin about three years ago, sir, following summer pears that were made after Mr. Odell Mark bought this place from his brother. What do you know of those repairs? Well, sir, as perhaps you noticed, the door from the dining room to the parlor opens on a short hall about three feet deep. Now, sir, Mr. Odell Mark had a wall thickened between the rooms. He thought it was weak and this hall represents the thickness of the wall oak stood at the window his hands in his pockets looking out did you see that wall being built yourself cook i didn't notice particularly sir well stone we'll try the simplest theory first will you kindly go with cook up to the roof and look around carefully i have an idea the wall is doubled and that you will find an opening up there somewhere we went and as oakes had surmised soon found a small opening like a chimney grated in solidly and protected by a covering and so reported good said oakes the wall is double in part at least and the opening was carried into the cellar room and a door placed there what for said i perhaps to ventilate it we may find some other reason we seem to be solving the mystery was moore's comment oakes looked at him quizzically are you satisfied doctor that there is a physical agent at work here moore grew red certainly he said and quintus smiled i thought probably you would be convinced in time a thorough licking is an excellent argument it is my belief that the escapes were made through that double wall and that we shall find some movable panels in the dining-room but the motive we are strangers we gave no provocation i cried we have yet to learn the motive also why a man should wear a robe the mask is sensible enough but why he impeded himself with a robe is beyond us as yet it would hide his body to be sure as the mask would hide his face but it would certainly greatly affect his chances of escape if pursued cook why was there no investigation ever made before i don't know sir mr odell was very timid did you ever go through the tunnel to the well yes sir i used to go before the mystery began but never afterward how about the place in the stairs where the rope was found that was always there sir and used for gardener's tools then the gardener knew of it 
Maloney, the older one, did. I'm sure he did. He has been here a long time. Was he here before the mysteries? Yes, sir. He has been five years on this place. Cook, what do you think of the murder of Winthrop Mark? It was one of those sudden questions that sometimes brings results. I don't know, sir. It's terrible, sir, of course. Where was Maloney yesterday, Cook? The man looked long at us. He was here when I got up at six o'clock, raking the leaves on the front. Indeed, said Oakes. We could not tell whether the answer surprised him or not. I suppose Mike worked all day? Yes, sir. He was about on the place the entire time. Quintus Oakes made no remark whatsoever at this, but dismissed Cook. We cannot go too far in presence of the servants, said he, for I am only Clark, the agent here, you remember. The time is coming where we might have to declare ourselves, and we may need police to help make arrests, but, he smiled, we have Helen as a friend, I guess. Oakes was calmly sanguine. I could see, but of course he did not know that the collateral events were brewing of grave importance to us all. Now for the robe and mask, said he. I handed over the mask, an old affair, and considerably worn from usage. A piece of it was missing, which Oakes replaced with a fragment of paper picked up in the cellar. It fitted exactly, settling the fact that the mask had been worn by the man who fought him in that place. The detective looked it all over and said, This is such as was sold in New York years ago. It is ordinary and offers no clue as to the owner of the place of purchase. I know the kind. The robe was fairly long and made of old velvet lined with satin, quite shiny inside and out. The name of its maker had been carefully cut away. It was spotted with blood. Oaks, no doubt, for it was fresh. It served a good purpose this time anyway, said I, saved the man's clothes from being marked. Medium chest measure, said Oaks. Try it on, Stone. I did so, and it just met around me. Good. The fellow who wore it is not a giant in chest measure, at all events, though larger than you, probably, since he wore it next to his undershirt. How in the world do you know that, Oakes? said the doctor. Look at the discoloration of the lining on the shoulders, and also across the chest and back. The soil is old, but there is a moisture about the front yet, the moisture of fresh perspiration. It has been used quite recently. That would not have come through a coat or a vest. I should not be surprised if he had worn it over his naked chest. Where do you suppose the outfit came from, I asked. Probably a relic of some masquerade ball of many years ago. This house used to be a popular place for entertainments. What did you pick up in the cellar when you stooped for the match? Oh, you noticed that? See for yourselves. And he showed us an old-fashioned heavy-caliber cartridge. And how about the closet in the steps from which you took the robe, I pursued. I happened to see the door 
although both of you missed it. The person who hid the disguise there is quite familiar with that exit, evidently. That narrows the search considerably, said Oakes, but the robe is a mystery. It is a senseless thing to use under such circumstances. Yes, senseless. That is the word, spoke up Moore. Oakes' eyes searched the physician's, but the latter made no further remark. I thought Oakes was sizing him up as pretty far from senseless himself. We now examined the robe more carefully, and saw that it was soiled, with what appeared to be soot. Oakes shook his head. No, it seemed to be wood ash of some kind. See how light some of it is, he said. He ran his hand along the inside of the robe, and found a small, well-worn slit, an opening to a deep pocket. Instantly he turned it inside out, and a small roll of paper dropped from it. He carefully unfolded it and spread it on the table. It is a piece of old newspaper, he said. It has been read much. It has been thumbed till it is ready to fall apart. Read it, Stone. Your eyes are best. I studied a while and then began. Daily News, October 30th. 189. The body was found downward, on the main highway, just below the crest of the Mona Hill. It was first seen by John Morney, who was going to the reservoir in advance of his gang of laborers. They were in sight when he discovered it. The time was therefore shortly before seven. The men were going to work at 6.30 from Mona. They recognized it instantly as the body of Orlando Smith, our beloved and esteemed citizen. Death had occurred only a short time before, and the murder must have been done about daybreak. It was evident that Mr. Smith was returning from his factory when he had spent the night, the shift having been doubled recently, owed to the pressure of business. Later examination showed that the bullet entered the chest and was from a large revolver, a forty-four or forty-five caliber. The ball was not found. We are unable to give any more particulars now, before the time of going to press. That is all, I said. We remained standing while we thought over the matter. There was a satisfied air about the detective that I could not quite fathom, and Dr. Moore seemed to be quite pleased also. Well, what is it? I ask. With a voice that betrayed traces of elation, Oakes answered me. The man in the cellar wore this robe. If he thumbed this paper, the murder of Smith interests him. The murder of Mark was similar, and I believe our mansion affair is going to involve us in a peck of unexpected trouble. The clues are showing now and we must know more about the Smith murder, as well as the Mark affair. Yes, put in more, and all about the suspected motives in the Smith affair. Oakes smiled. Don't be too previous, my boy. If Holland looks for our help, well and good. Otherwise, remember, I have given my word not to interfere with this search at present. Meanwhile, we must get into town and look around. You must remain here, said Moore. You cannot go out until that wound begins to heal in a day or so. That is so, said Oakes, but perhaps Stone 
can find out what is going on so it was arranged that i should call on chief hallen that evening and spend a few hours in mona at supper oakes said that tomorrow he would have men from the city who would make a complete search of the walls and perhaps tear down some partitions masons and other workmen you know he said i saw a twinkle in his eyes and realized that he was going to surround himself with men in a case of emergency are you expecting trouble i asked no he said grave again in a second but i believe in being forearmed this matter is capable of developing into a very serious affair for all hands especially if we have a band of conspirators against us a band said i yes certainly has it never occurred to you that there may be several desperate characters in this affair and the murder this is no boy's play and we're facing unknown dangers now stone go about town carefully and send this cipher to new york first thing when you come back tell chief helen i want you escorted to the mansion by two men remember he will understand for he spoke to me of the advisability of giving me aid it all seemed strange to me but i was not fearful when i left just at seven for the town i took the short cut over the bridge and up the hill beyond and they watched me as i crossed the rolling plains to mona it was a clear night and i could see well over the hills the three-quarters moon giving me excellent light i could not help thinking how careful was this man oakes what a peculiar nature was his alert severe even to austerity at times then solicitous friendly and even fond of a joke i was more glad that i came although i realized that perhaps it was foolish to interfere in such affairs of course that murder of mark had been cast upon our notice by curious circumstances and unexpectedly as i walked over the rolling ground i kept my eyes well upon my surroundings but not a living thing did i see except myself and the night birds until i entered the town there was an air of subdued excitement about the place as i walked to the post office to send my dispatches the loungers seemed numerous and some were amiss in their greetings others whom i knew approached in an affable manner enough but there seemed no genuine friendliness the telegraphed manager took the cipher and smiled when he saw it then he said to me in a whisper tell mr clark there is trouble coming to my look of surprise he answered oh that's all right i had a visit from your friend before he went to the mansion again i recognized the work of careful oaks and understood why he did not hesitate to send the cipher a thing unusual in a small town the indications of impending trouble in town were quite impressive to me the little hotel at the centre of a lounging crowd large and composed of representative men as well as the usual hangers-on there were evidences of much interest around the police building also much more than would occur under normal circumstances in a town of this size and even more than was present the night before i noticed a couple of brawls 
and considerable raising of voices many men were walking about as though watching the others the prairie fire had been lighted the sparks were burning near the roots of the grass the air was uneasy ready to rush in as wind to fan and feed the first flame i visited the chief who was with his subordinates he invited me into the private room and then said mr stone i am doing all that i can to detect this murder and to satisfy the public demand for his apprehension but the clues are practically worthless the populace is uneasy and suspicious then he detailed to me all that he knew i then told him how the people's actions had impressed me i am going to have all i can to keep order i am going to ask your friend oakes to take a hand he will do it i said for he is greatly interested it is for the welfare of the town which i serve that i ask him to join me in this matter go to him and tell him i shall see him in the morning if possible i was glad that the affairs were taking such a turn for i knew the facts in our possession and that oakes's counsel would be valuable i then requested an escort of two men to accompany me on my return to the mansion as oakes had suggested certainly i had no intention of letting you go back alone he said and then he summoned two of his men clad in citizens clothes and introduced them to me now take a walk to the outskirts and return the same way by which you came my men will follow you a short distance before i left i noticed my companions fine-looking fellows both of them and saw the tell-tale pouching of the hip pockets and knew that we were all well armed in order not to attract attention we will walk some distance behind you we will keep you within sight and hearing if we fire a shot return to us i started across the rolling country and saw two figures behind me why were they so careful why did they not accompany me they separated and we advanced i myself following the narrow path the night was still i halted occasionally and looked back dim figure would halt on my left and on my right it was lonesome but i felt i had company i neared the slope to the pond and looked around there was nothing visible and i began to descend with an easy stride although nearing the mansion i felt an unaccountable dread this was the trying part of the journey and my followers were now invisible to me being on the plain above the crest of the hill i gripped my revolver firmly and stepped rapidly onto the bridge but as i did so i heard a pistol shot from above and knew instantly that i was in danger that my companions had signaled me to return i faced about and commenced my descent of the hill from somewhere a near voice came to me clearly run for your life it said i could see nothing but it retreated hurriedly and was soon with the others at the top of the hill why did you tell me to run i panted they looked at me we said nothing was the answer we merely signaled you to come back well someone ordered me to run for my life ah they said we thought we heard a voice 
we saw a figure at the other side of the pond we came over the crest cautiously and he did not expect us he was crossing in a range of the light from the mason gate when we detected him so much for following you well but who spoke to me he could not have done so his voice would not have sounded so near no evidently someone near you was watching him he was about to waylay you and the watcher knew it and warned you we heard a commotion and saw a figure dash from the bridge away toward the north end of the pond and disappear then another figure showed at the crest on the river pond and followed him at breakneck speed see the man on the bridge was the fellow who warned you the other is after him he won't catch him however come i cried and we darted down and over the bridge to the road above but nothing was visible suddenly a couple of figures emerged from the darkness by the mason gate we recognized oakes and moore who had been awaiting us we related the circumstances of our return to the mason to them yes said oakes we were watching the man near the road he had a gun and was evidently waiting for you we were just going to make a rush at him when we saw you run back at the signal who was he asked i i will answer the question by asking who was the man who warned you i haven't the least idea said i you see you were in great danger and only that man's foresight saved your life but there are two unknowns now the friend and the enemy we watched my escorts descend and cross the bridge mount the ascent and disappear over the crest toward mona the moonlight silhouetted their figures for an instant as they turned and waved a farewell end of chapter eleven